Mike on. <laughs> Greetings, folks. This is Joseph. Now, is uh, our next episode is going to be from. Patriarchs and Prophets. The title is Mike on. The Child Samuel. The Child Samuel. This chapter is based on 1 Samuel 1 and chapter 2, 1 to 11. Elkanah, a Levite of Mount Ephraim, was a man of wealth and influence, and one who loved and feared the Lord. His wife, Hannah, was a woman of fervent piety. Gentle and unassuming, her character was marked with deep earnestness and a lofty faith. The blessing so earnestly sought by every Hebrew was denied this godly pair. Their home was not gladdened by the voice of childhood, and the desire to perpetuate his name led the husband, as it had led many others, to contract a second marriage. But this step, prompted by a lack of faith in God, did not bring happiness. Sons and daughters were added to the household, but the joy and beauty of God's sacred institution had been marred, and the peace of the family was broken. Penina, the new wife, was jealous and narrow-minded, and she bore herself with pride and insolence. To Hannah, hope seemed crushed, and life a weary burden. Yet she met the trial with uncomplaining meekness. Elkanah faithfully observed the ordinances of God. The worship at Shiloh was still maintained, but on account of irregularities in the ministration, his services were not required at the sanctuary, to which, being a Levite, he was to give attendance. Yet he went up with his family to worship and sacrifice at the appointed gatherings. Even amid the sacred festivities connected with the service of God, the evil spirit that had cursed his home intruded. After presenting the thank offerings, all the family, according to the established custom, united in a solemn yet joyous feast. Upon these occasions, Elkanah gave the mother of his children a portion for herself and for each of her sons and daughters. And in token of regard for Hannah, he gave her a double portion, signifying that his affection for her was the same as if she had had a son. Then the second wife, fired with jealousy, claimed the precedence as one highly favored of God and taunted Hannah with her childless state as evidence of the Lord's displeasure. This was repeated from year to year until Hannah could endure it no longer. Unable to hide her grief, she wept without restraint and withdrew from the feast. Her husband vainly sought to comfort her. Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? He said, Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Hannah uttered no reproach. The burden which she could share with no earthly friend she cast upon God. 
Earnestly, she pleaded that he would take away her reproach and grant her the precious gift of a son to nurture and train for him. And she made a solemn vow that if her request were granted, she would dedicate her child to God even from its birth. Hannah had drawn near to the entrance of the tabernacle, and in the anguish of her spirit she prayed and wept sore. Yet she communed with God in silence, uttering no sound. In those evil times such scenes of worship were rarely witnessed. Irreverent feasting and even drunkenness were not uncommon, even at the religious festivals. And Eli, the high priest, observing Hannah, supposed that she was overcome with wine. Thinking to administer a deserved rebuke, he said sternly, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Pained and startled, Hannah answered gently, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. The high priest was deeply moved, for he was a man of God. And in place of rebuke he uttered a blessing, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Hannah's prayer was granted. She received the gift for which she had so earnestly entreated. As she looked upon the child, she called him Samuel, asked of God. As soon as the little one was old enough to be separated from his mother, she fulfilled her vow. She loved her child with all the devotion of a mother's heart. Day by day, as she watched his expanding powers and listened to his childish prattle, her affections entwined about him more closely. He was her only son, the special gift of heaven. But she had received him as a treasure consecrated to God, and she would not withhold from the giver his own. Once more Hannah journeyed with her husband to Shiloh and presented to the priest in the name of God her precious gift, saying, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth he shall be lent to the Lord. Eli was deeply impressed by the faith and devotion of this woman of Israel. Himself an overindulgent father, he was awed and humbled as he beheld his mother's great sacrifice in parting with her only child, that she might devote him to the service of God. He felt reproved for his own selfish love, and in humiliation and reverence he bowed before the Lord and worshipped. The mother's heart was filled with joy and praise, and she longed to pour forth her gratitude to God. The spirit of inspiration came upon her, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord, mine horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for Jehovah is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. 
For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah's words were prophetic, both of David, who should reign as the king of Israel, and of the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. Referring first to the boasting of an insolent and contentious woman, the song points to the destruction of the enemies of God and the final triumph of his redeemed people. From Shiloh, Hannah quietly returned to her home at Ramah, leaving the child Samuel to be trained for service in the house of God under the instruction of the high priest. From the earliest dawn of intellect she had taught her son to love and reverence God and to regard himself as the Lord's. By every familiar object surrounding him she had sought to lead his thoughts up to the Creator. When separated from her child the faithful mother's solicitude did not cease. Every day he was a subject of her prayers. Every year she made, with her own hands, a robe of service for him. And as she went up with her husband to worship at Shiloh, she gave the child this reminder of her love. Every fiber of the little garment had been woven with a prayer that he might be pure, noble, and true. She did not ask for her son worldly greatness, but she earnestly pleaded that he might attain that greatness which heaven values, that he might honor God and bless his fellow men. What a reward was Hannah's, and what an encouragement to faithfulness is her example. There are opportunities of inestimable worth, interests infinitely precious, committed to every mother. The humble round of duties which women have come to regard as a wearisome task should be looked upon as a grand and noble work. It is the mother's privilege to bless the world by her influence, and in doing this she will bring joy to her own heart. She may make straight paths for the feet of her children through sunshine and shadow to the glorious heights above. But it is only when she seeks in her own life to follow the teachings of Christ that the mother can hope to form the character of her children after the divine pattern. The world teems with corrupting influences. Fashion and custom exert a strong power over the young. If the mother fails in her duty to instruct, guide, and restrain, her children will naturally accept the evil and turn from the good. Let every mother go often to her Savior with the prayer, Teach us, how shall we order the child, and what shall we do unto him? Let her heed the instruction which God has given in his word, and wisdom will be given her as she shall have need. The child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Though Samuel's youth was passed at the tabernacle devoted to the worship of God, he was not free from evil influences or sinful example. The sons of Eli feared not God nor honored their father, but Samuel did not seek their company nor follow their evil ways. It was his constant endeavor to become what God would have him. This is the privilege of every youth. God is pleased when even little children give themselves to his service. Samuel had been placed under the care of Eli, and the loveliness of his character drew forth the warm affection of the aged priest. He was kind, generous, obedient, and respectful. Eli, pained by the waywardness of his own sons, found rest and comfort and blessing in the presence of his charge.
Samuel was helpful and affectionate, and no father ever loved his child more tenderly than did Eli this youth. It was a singular thing that between the chief magistrate of the nation and the simple child so warm an affection should exist. As the infirmities of age came upon Eli, and he was filled with anxiety and remorse by the profligate course of his own sons, he turned to Samuel for comfort. It was not customary for the Levites to enter upon their peculiar services until they were twenty-five years of age. But Samuel had been an exception to this rule. Every year saw more important trusts committed to him, and while he was yet a child, a linen ephod was placed upon him as a token of his consecration to the work of the sanctuary. Young as he was when brought to minister in the tabernacle, Samuel had even then duties to perform in the service of God according to his capacity. These were at first very humble and not always pleasant, but they were performed to the best of his ability and with a willing heart. His religion was carried into every duty of life. He regarded himself as God's servant and his work as God's work. His efforts were accepted because they were prompted by love to God and a sincere desire to do his will. It was thus that Samuel became a co-worker with the Lord of heaven and earth, and God fitted him to accomplish a great work for Israel. If children were taught to regard the humble round of everyday duties as the course marked out for them by the Lord, as a school in which they were to be trained to render faithful and efficient service, how much more pleasant and honorable Eli would their work appear? Eli was priest and judge in Israel. To he perform the every duty is under the Lord. Positions throws the a charm around the humblest employment as a man divinely and chosen for the workers on earth the with the holy beings and who do God's God's will and as the highest judicial authority. He was looked success up to in as this an life, example. Success in gaining the future life depends upon the a faithful, Israel. conscientious attention to but the little things. He had been appointed to govern the Perfection people, is seen in the least, his own no household. less than in the greatest of the works of Eli God. Was an indulgent the father. hand that hung the worlds in space Loving is the hand that wrought ease, with delicate skill the lillies of the field. To correct the evil habits and, and as God is perfect children, in his sphere, so we are to be perfect in ours. He would the symmetrical structure of a strong, beautiful way. character is built up by individual Instead acts of, of duty. Instead of regarding the education of his sons the faithfulness as one of the most characterize our life in the least as well as in the greatest the of its as details. Of consequence. Integrity in little judge of Israel had not the been performance of little acts of fidelity and little deeds of kindness that God had given will gladden the path of life. And when but our work Eli on earth is ended, duty, it will be found that every one of the little duties faithfully performed and make it has exerted an influence for good, them. an influence that can never Without perish. Without weighing the terrible consequences that would follow the youth his of our course, time may become as precious in the sight of God as was desired, and neglected the work of by faithfully them maintaining the their Christian the integrity. Life. They may exert a strong influence in the work of reform. God had said of Abraham, "Such men are needed at this time." That he will command his God children has a work for every one of them. Never did men achieve greater results for God and humanity and than may be achieved in Genesis this our day 18, verse 19. by those who will be faithful to their God-given trust. But Eli allowed his children to control him. The father became subject to the children. The curse of transgression was apparent in the corruption and evil that marked the course of his sons. They had no proper appreciation of the character of God or of the sacredness of his law. His service was to them a common thing. From childhood they had been accustomed to the sanctuary and its service. But instead of becoming more reverent, they had lost all sense of its holiness and significance. The father had not corrected their want of reverence for his authority, 
had not checked their disrespect for the solemn services of the sanctuary, and when they reached manhood they were full of the deadly fruits of skepticism and rebellion. Though wholly unfit for the office, they were placed as priests in the sanctuary to minister before God. The Lord had given the most specific directions in regard to offering sacrifices, but these men carried their disregard of authority into the service of God, and did not give attention to the law of the offerings, which were to be made in the most solemn manner. The sacrifices, pointing forward to the death of Christ, were designed to preserve in the hearts of the people faith in the Redeemer to come. Hence it was of the greatest importance that the Lord's directions concerning them should be strictly heeded. The peace offerings were especially an expression of thanksgiving to God. In these offerings the fat alone was to be burned upon the altar. A certain specified portion was reserved for the priests, but the greater part was returned to the offerer, to be eaten by him and his friends in a sacrificial feast. Thus all hearts were to be directed, in gratitude and faith, to the great sacrifice that was to take away the sin of the world. The sons of Eli, instead of realizing the solemnity of this symbolic service, only thought how they could make it a means of self-indulgence. Not content with the part of the peace offerings allotted them, they demanded an additional portion, and the great number of these sacrifices presented at the annual feasts gave the priests an opportunity to enrich themselves at the expense of the people. They not only demanded more than their right, but refused to wait even until the fat had been burned as an offering to God. They persisted in claiming whatever portion pleased them, and, if denied, threatened to take it by violence. This irreverence on the part of the priests soon robbed the service of its holy and solemn significance, and the people abhorred the offering of the Lord. The great antitypical sacrifice to which they were to look forward was no longer recognized. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. These unfaithful priests also transgressed God's law and dishonored their sacred office by their vile and degrading practices. Yet they continued to pollute by their presence the tabernacle of God. Many of the people, filled with indignation at the corrupt course of Hophni and Phinehas, ceased to come up to the appointed place of worship. Thus the service which God had ordained was despised and neglected because associated with the sins of wicked men while those whose hearts were inclined to evil were emboldened in sin. Ungodliness, profligacy, and even idolatry prevailed to a fearful extent. Eli had greatly erred in permitting his sons to minister in the holy office. By excusing their course on one pretext and another, he became blinded to their sins. But at last they reached a pass where he could no longer hide his eyes from the crimes of his sons. The people complained of their violent deeds, and the high priest was grieved and distressed. He dared remain silent no longer. But his sons had been brought up to think of no one but themselves, and now they cared for no one else. They saw the grief of their father, but their hard hearts were not touched. They heard his mild admonitions, but they were not impressed. Nor would they change their evil course, though warned of the consequences of their sin. Had Eli dealt justly with his wicked sons, they would have been rejected from the priestly office and punished with death. Dreading thus to bring public disgrace and condemnation upon them, 
He sustained them in the most sacred positions of trust. He still permitted them to mingle their corruption with the holy service of God, and to inflict upon the cause of truth an injury which years could not efface. But when the judge of Israel neglected his work, God took the matter in hand. There came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father, when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice, and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation? And honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people? Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. God charged Eli with honoring his sons above the Lord. Eli had permitted the offering appointed by God as a blessing to Israel to be made a thing of abhorrence, rather than bring his sons to shame for their impious and abominable practices. Those who follow their own inclination in blind affection for their children, indulging them in the gratification of their selfish desires, and do not bring to bear the authority of God to rebuke sin and correct evil, make it manifest that they are honoring their wicked children more than they honor God. They are more anxious to shield their reputation than to glorify God, more desirous to please their children than to please the Lord, and to keep His service from every appearance of evil. God held Eli as a priest and judge of Israel, accountable for the moral and religious standing of His people and in a special sense for the character of his sons. He should first have attempted to restrain evil by mild measures, but if these did not avail, he should have subdued the wrong by the severest means. He incurred the Lord's displeasure by not reproving sin and executing justice upon the sinner. He could not be depended upon to keep Israel pure. Those who have too little courage to reprove wrong, or who through indolence or lack of interest make no earnest effort to purify the family or the church of God, are held accountable for the evil that may result from their neglect of duty. We are just as responsible for evils that we might have checked in others by exercise of parental or pastoral authority as if the acts had been our own. Eli did not manage his household according to God's rules for family government. He followed his own judgment. The fond father overlooked the faults and sins of his sons in their childhood, flattering himself that after a time they would outgrow their evil tendencies. Many are now making a similar mistake. They think they know a better way of training their children than that which God has given in His Word. They foster wrong tendencies in them, urging as an excuse, they are too young to be punished, 
Wait till they become older and can be reasoned with. Thus, wrong habits are left to strengthen until they become a second nature. The children grow up without restraint, with traits of character that are a lifelong curse to them and are liable to be reproduced in others. There is no greater curse upon households than to allow the youth to have their own way. When parents regard every wish of their children and indulge them in what they know is not for their good, the children soon lose all respect for their parents, all regard for the authority of God or man, and are led captive at the will of Satan. The influence of an ill-regulated family is widespread and disastrous to all society. It accumulates in a tide of evil that affects families, communities, and governments. Because of Eli's position, his influence was more extended than if he had been an ordinary man. His family life was imitated throughout Israel. The baleful results of his negligent, ease-loving ways were seen in thousands of homes that were molded by his example. If children are indulged in evil practices while the parents make a profession of religion, the truth of God is brought into reproach. The best test of the Christianity of a home is the type of character begotten by its influence. Actions speak louder than the most positive profession of godliness. If professors of religion, instead of putting forth earnest, persistent, and painstaking effort to bring up a well-ordered household as a witness to the benefits of faith in God, are lax in their government and indulgence to the evil desires of their children, they are doing as Eli did, and are bringing disgrace on the cause of Christ and ruin upon themselves and their households. But great as are the evils of parental unfaithfulness under any circumstances, they are tenfold greater when they exist in the families of those appointed as teachers of the people. When these fail to control their own households, they are, by their wrong example, misleading many. Their guilt is as much greater than that of others as their position is more responsible. The promise had been made that the house of Aaron should walk before God forever. But this promise had been made on condition that they should devote themselves to the work of the sanctuary with singleness of heart and honor God in all their ways, not serving self nor following their own perverse inclinations. Eli and his sons had been tested, and the Lord had found them wholly unworthy of the exalted position of priests in his service. And God declared, Be it far from me. He could not accomplish the good that he had meant to do them, because they failed to do their part. The example of those who minister in holy things should be such as to impress the people with reverence for God, and with fear to offend Him. When men, standing in Christ's stead, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, to speak to the people, God's message of mercy and reconciliation, use their sacred calling as a cloak for selfish or sensual gratification. They make themselves the most effective agents of Satan. Like Hophni and Phinehas, they cause men to abhor the offering of the Lord. They may pursue their evil course in secret for a time, but when at last their true character is exposed, the faith of the people receives a shock that often results in destroying their confidence in religion. 
there is left upon the mind a distrust of all who profess to teach the word of God. The message of the true servant of Christ is doubtfully received. The question constantly arises, Will not this man prove to be like the one we thought so holy and found so corrupt? Thus the word of God loses its power upon the souls of men. In Eli's reproof to his sons are words of solemn and fearful import, words that all who minister in sacred things would do well to ponder. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Had their crimes injured only their fellow men, the judge might have made reconciliation by appointing a penalty and requiring restitution, and thus the offenders might have been pardoned. Or had they not been guilty of a presumptuous sin, a sin offering might have been presented for them. But their sins were so interwoven with their ministration as priests of the Most High in offering sacrifice for sin, the work of God was so profaned and dishonored before the people that no expiation could be accepted for them. Their own father, though himself high priest, dared not make intercession in their behalf. He could not shield them from the wrath of a holy God. Of all sinners, those are most guilty who cast contempt upon the means that heaven has provided for man's redemption, who crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. Mike on. Uh, folks, this wraps up the episode. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye bye.